Alright, hello and welcome to Fruitful Homemaker. I have with me Mrs. Mary Beakey and she has written a book that we're going to be going over today called Teach Them to Work. And so her husband is Dr. Joel Beakey and as we find out in the book, he works very hard. So I actually went to the seminary page to find everything that he does because I didn't want to write it down and miss something. So I'm going to just go over what uh, your husband Joel does. So he is the president and a professor at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, a pastor of the Heritage Reformed Congregation in Grand Rapids, Michigan, editor of Puritan Reformed Journal and Banner of Sovereign Grace Truth, editorial director of Reformation Heritage Books and president of Inheritance Publishers, and Vice President of the Dutch Reformed Translation Society. So it seems like he has his hands full. Yep, and I call him the BMW, the best man in the world. So That's right. He's a wonderful husband, too. And then you raise, is it three children? Yes, we have three grown children, and we have seven grandchildren, and one more oh. on the way. Oh, that's wonderful. And you are a teacher, or you were a teacher and a registered nurse? Yes, I, I became a nurse when I was in my 20s, and I, mm -hmm. I did not like that profession. It, it mm -hmm. sort of terrified me, so I went back to school and became an elementary school teacher, mm -hmm. and I taught for five years, but I, uh, when we had our first child, then I, I stayed at home and raised our children. So I, I do a little bit of teaching with our Sunday school program at mm -hmm. uh, our church for an outreach program and substitute a bit at our Christian school. Oh, that's great. Well, let's go into, oh, and you've also written a couple books, uh, The Law of Kindness, which I have and is wonderful to look back on, especially when raising kids, and then Teach Them to Work, which we're going over today. And then you and your husband have co-wrote um, a series, it's a children's series called um, God and Me. And so we don't have that series yet, but it's one, or I think it's, it's four books in total. Right. It, it focuses, uh, one book is on faith, one is on hope, and one is on loving God, and the other is on loving others at a very, very young um, a level for very, very young children. That's great. Yes, that has been on our list to get. I love, I was just looking at them. I think it's watercolors were used. The illustrations are beautiful, and so we look for it. It's always good to find good literature for young kids that teach them about the Lord. And yes. so that looks like a wonderful series. I hope so. <laughs> I hope it's blessed to many children. To, yes. There's some instructions in there for parents too and teaching oh, those lofty concepts to their children. Yeah. All right. Let's go to talking about teach them to work. And so I think the question on the back of the book really sets the stage of what you're going to be learning of what your mindset might be before you read it and then how your mindset will change. And so it says, do you find it easier to just do chores yourself rather than struggling with your children to do them? And I know for us having young kids, um, if I have them help me with chores, it usually takes twice as long. Something's bound to be broken, like taking things out of the dishwasher. But if you have the lens of it being a burden, then you're going to most likely have this attitude towards many, if not all of the things that need to be done around the house. And so with this book, as a parent, you learn about what the Lord has said about work, what work ethic is, why it's important, and overall how to glorify God uh, in our lives through our work. And it is such an important thing to be teaching our children diligently. And so this book has been just so convicting and encouraging on how we should view work as a family. So I'm looking forward to going through these questions today and hopefully encouraging parents to, one, pick up this book and read it and uh, be teaching their children how to work. All right, let's move to the first question. And that is, why should we as parents want to instill good work, work ethic in our children when they are young? And what are some biblical principles that help set the foundation for this? Yes, uh, it's so important to instill that biblical work ethic in our children because 
that's what they're going to do as adults. God created work. He created us. He works and we must work. So that's one of the biblical principles that we have to instill in their minds. And we as parents are responsible for taking them from their very youth, zero ages, zero in age, up to 18, and preparing them to be adults who are responsible, who contribute to the, their own welfare and to their own community. And it, as they are adults, we look forward to that time, and they're going to be working half of their waking hours. So we have 18 years to prepare them for that. It's done gradually. And but it's it's very good to start young. We all know that very young children, they want to be big. They want to be like mommy and daddy. They want to do what mommy and daddy are doing. And and we have to take advantage of that, um, that innate desire to be independent and, and to tap into their ambition. And when they want to feed themselves, you know, I could picture our little grandchildren just last week. I do it. I do it. And don't want to be fed and they want to do it themselves. And the food is all over the place, but they're learning how to be independent. And if we squelch that desire, um, we, we're not doing them a favor. So um, it's, it's very important to start young too, so that they never remember a time when they're, they didn't work. And if they're capable, then why not have them do it? I always say if if a little child can take a bucket of Duplos and throw them all over the room, then they can take those Duplos and put them right back in the bucket. They might not want to. You might have to train them. You might even have to take that Duplo block and put it in their hand and make them put it in the bucket. But they can learn. They can learn. And by starting young, you build on that. And they, they get a lot of enjoyment and a lot of pride when they, they can sense, even a little toddler can sense this uh, accomplishment and that they did something worthwhile. Um, some of the foundational biblical principles that we can instill in our children as we're teaching them to work are things like truth, like being honest. If, if, they're, if we ask them, did you put your toys away? And they say yes, but they didn't. That's a learning opportunity to teach them to be truthful. We can teach them to honor God in all that we do and use our talents for his glory. We can teach them to love God above all and our neighbors ourselves. We can serve others and give them that great joy. Teach them wisdom as they go along, as we're working alongside them. And we can teach them purity and holiness to love, love what's good. So all those principles are so important and can be taught when we're working alongside and teaching our children to work. Mm -hmm. I loved the section kindness and goodness and how the home is the best training ground to teach this. Because you talked about how we have many good times together, but sadly we take out our frustrations the most on our siblings, parents, and children. And that was really convicting reading that because you know, we can put on a good front with others, but if we're frustrated or angry, our closest people around us are going to see that. And so it was just a good reminder that um, you wrote, the more love we show, the less space there is for negatives. And so that's just been something that I've been thinking about as we're in our home of what what do we want um, our children be, to be raised in. And that kindness and goodness is just so important. Yeah, it's it's one of those ugly facets of our sinful human nature that the people we love the, the most are the ones who receive our negative behavior the most. Mm -hmm. and, and if we're aware of that, I think it helps to to counteract that and pray to God for, for uh, the love in our hearts to be exhibited. Mm, that's right. I always think it helps to to think, uh, you know, when we're really frustrated with, with one of our family members, whether it's in the area of work or anything else, to to think what if what if something happened to that person that they either were seriously injured or died today? Um, what my regrets would be so so huge, and try and treat them in that light. That's right. But yeah, that 
what words of encouragement and wisdom from that thinking about how much you love your loved ones and how you want them to be treated. So as we're talking about disciplining our children and being there to nurture and love them, how do we foster the transition from parent discipline to self-discipline in our children as they are growing up? Yeah. Children are, when they're young, they, they think in very concrete ways. And so it's all black and white. And then as they grow older, they're able to think in more abstract ways. So we have to meet them where they're at. So a little child, maybe one-year-old or 15-month-old, um, or even younger than that, when they show defiance, and they, they can show defiance at such a young age, um, we don't sit them down and have give them a lecture on self-control and showing respect because they just won't understand it. So that's where discipline comes in. But as they grow older, then we can have those conversations and we can talk to them about um, about discipline, self-discipline. And we can teach them, okay, you know, when you were younger, mommy, daddy disciplined you when you didn't do your work. But now you have to learn how to do that yourself so that you, when you are an adult, you can learn how to, to do this yourself. So we, we release on the parent discipline when we see that they, have, they are starting to learn self-discipline. And we do this with a lot of prayer and wisdom and calmness. We don't want to provoke them to anger. But if, if they are misbehaving and disobeying, then they, they have to have some kind of discipline that, that hurts. And they, they might be angry, but if we don't provoke them to anger, there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. If their behavior is making them angry, that's different than us provoking them to anger. And that's a fine, a fine line between that. But at every age, we understand, we explain at a level that they can understand why they are being required to work. And over the years and over the many, many experiences that are involved in teaching them to work and training them, we hope and pray that they take over the responsibility themselves. So that instead of us saying, you've got to be up on time, that they take over and set their own alarm clock and that they go to work on time, that they take responsibility for themselves. So um, we, we hope and pray that happens when they're in their teenage years. If, if they choose of their own volition to ignore our wisdom, then sometimes they have to learn self-discipline the hard way by maybe they are late for work and maybe they do get fired, but we warn them and that's their responsibility. And sometimes the school of hard knocks is where some kids choose to learn their lessons. So, so starting out with our discipline so that they understand and we pray that they take over the, the self-discipline, self-control, all that stuff uh, by time they're adults. I, there is so much in this chapter that I really enjoyed. And one of the sections under, or one of the sections, keep it positive. You wrote every so often. Oh, so we're remembering Paul's advice on rearing our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So Ephesians 6, 4. And you wrote every so often, ask yourself and discuss with your spouse. Are we finding the right balance between these two? Are we addressing sin while showing love? Are we balancing discipline with encouragement? Are we being more positive than negative? Are we enjoying our children or are we burdened? And so I love that you have written throughout the book a lot of good questions to to ask yourself, to ask and discuss with your spouse, and then also dialogue with your children on how to say something or just an example of how to say things. And I think that is, at least for me, so helpful when I see that and see an example of what could be done and can use that, modify it for our family. 
And so that was one that's really stuck out to me. Um, I was just asking yourself those, those good questions when you're um, disciplining your children. Yes, and I, I think at the root of staying positive is keeping the love in our hearts. And if we, if we have that love in our hearts for our children, we will still discipline them because we want what's best for them. And sometimes that requires discipline, but it will, it will keep the, the anger um, in control if we really think of how much we love our children. And sometimes, I mean, children can be very exasperating. And if we, uh, sometimes we need desperate prayer (laughs) Mm -hmm. that God just please, please give me wisdom, give me peace, give me calm in this, this situation when I'm really angry and really frustrated. But, um, and, and husband, that's the beauty of husband and wife working together too. Like, um, my husband once said, uh, 80 to 90% of our interactions with our children should be positive. And I said, um, I think maybe it's time for you to spend a whole day with the kids. <laughs> and uh, I got him to tone that down to at least uh, more positive than negative. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, they're, unless, um, I don't know, I don't think I'm a negative person, but I think a lot of child rearing is saying no, can't be afraid to mm-hmm. say no, but also follow it up with with the positive and try mm-hmm. Try and stay cheerful, even if you have to fake it. Uh, You wrote here in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Mm -hmm. And you wrote how you discovered that, oh, you wish you would have discovered that when your children were young because it was precious and um, just encouraging in that you pray it will give strength, courage, joy, and peace. And so I've written that down to look at each morning because it's true. And um, it's much needed reminder throughout the day. Yes, and that's why it's important to start our day with God too. Um, even if you, you, even if the kids are up from bed, you don't have that quiet time all alone. You can you can spend time with God with the kids playing around you. Mm-hmm. You know, I I just believe that's really important to keep keep that handle on God so that He can keep His hand on you. Mm-hmm. And then my husband and I were just talking about this. So I wanted to bring it up that, you know, we read with our children through scripture. And so we're going through Proverbs again and family worship. And you wrote, when our children were young, we rotated reading through Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Gospels, and James at breakfast time. But we mostly read Proverbs. And why is that? Mm-hmm. I I'm a very practical person mm-hmm. and I just love how practical Proverbs is. It's I I call it our our toolbox for mm-hmm. uh for living and for raising children especially. There's just the the wisdom in there is so beautiful and so practical and I I just love it. Every verse is is a a treasure and I I just felt that was our, our kids uh, went to our local Christian school. So, you know, we ate breakfast and I had to get them off on the bus. And um, I just felt that that was a good way for them to to start the day. Mm-hmm. And Proverbs is such an important book for, for child rearing. That's right. So if you have children and you're raising them, we know that each one has their own personalities and characteristics. They are unique in their own way. And so what ways do we custom train custom train them when they're looking at areas of learning style, work style, and discipline? Yes, each each child is unique, just like a snowflake. And as, as parents, we have to have consistencies and we have to be fair between all the children. But we also need to individualize our training for each child according to to their uniqueness. Um, experts have done studies on learning styles. Some examples of different learning styles are there visual learners, there's verbal learners, there are physical learners, and there's different work styles. Some are analytical workers, some are expressive workers, some are driven workers. And 
Each of our children has a predominant style, although I believe that these are not nice, neat, distinct categories because I believe that we're all a mixture of all of them. But but we each have our strengths, and if we can reach our child in, in their own area of strength, then uh, they can learn better. For instance, if you're homeschooling and your child just loves to read, well, you might assign that child a research paper. And someone else who's more hands-on, if you're teaching them how a volcano works, you might say, build a model of a volcano. You know, build an actual one out of plaster of Paris or something like that. So if you can tap into their work styles and their learning styles, I think we can reach them in a better way and hopefully draw out their their skills and their talents and prepare them for for adult life. Um, in my days as teaching, I remember, I remember having students that one one student, if her life depended on it, uh, she could not comprehend the meaning of a story, and yet she grew up to be an incredible homemaker and cook. You know, she just that was her skill. One girl just couldn't spell. She just that wasn't her her strength, but she. She became the best phlebotomist in the hospital. And when cancer patients would come in, they wanted her because she could find their vein. So they all have skills. And sadly, sometimes um, our, our schools, I think, are more academically geared. And there's some kids that have to suffer through 13 years of education in order to get out there and work with their hands because they are very intelligent in a way that's different from school. So if we at home can channel their their different um, strengths, then I, I think we can really help them find their way in life in the area of work. Mm-hmm. That's where starting to see, um, so we have three kids. Um, my oldest is almost five. And then we have a son who's three. And then a little baby, her name's Annie Beth. She is she just turned one. And so with Gracie, my oldest, and Jacob, we're really starting to see their different learning styles, their work styles. And because we, I do a little homeschool curriculum with them. And so Gracie is very meticulous. She loves to write things down and she's just a great learner. But my son is not. He likes to be hands-on and playing with his Legos as we're counting or reading a book. But, and Most of the time, I don't really think he's listening, but then later on, he's repeating what I said or counting his Legos and and all that. And so it really, after reading this and then watching the kids, you can see their uniqueness in how they learn. And so that's been been a joy to, to see. And I think something to remember there too is that they're, even if they have a weakness in a certain area, um, they, they still have to learn at least a competency in that area. You know, if they're not good at math, we, you can't just say we'll skip math because they still have to uh, know a certain amount of math in order to live as an mm-hmm. adult. So it, it's, it may be hard, mm-hmm. but, but if we can encourage them and still teach those that might not be their life's profession, but they still have to learn things that they maybe aren't good at. That's right. Yeah, that's a good reminder. All right, would you share a few different ways to reason with ourselves to accomplish the goal of teaching our children to work? Yes, I I think our internal attitude and our, our, our the way that we approach a task is is so important. And as we said before, teaching children to work can be very frustrating. But if we are are ready for it and we sort of have these attitudes set in our mind ahead of time, I I think we can be ready when those frustrating moments come. And as we mentioned, spending time in God with prayer, with God in prayer to begin the day and asking him for wisdom throughout the day. My my favorite prayer was just, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. (laughs) Sometimes the kids would say, what'd you say, mommy? And I would say, I'm just praying, <laughs> Lord help me. <laughs> and, um, and so God, God can help us moment to moment. Another 
attitude that I found was very helpful was I, I would tell myself to think like a teacher, to put myself in teach them, teach them to work mode or teaching mode. And I, I, I would just tell myself, okay, Mary, you didn't learn everything the first time around when you were a kid. So it, they need repetition. As long as they're not de- being defiant or disobedient, uh, be patient and, and teach them again. So, so teacher mode helped me just be a little bit more patient and, and stay calm. So you can be calm and still uh, administer discipline. And you can be patient, but that doesn't mean you let them run all over you. Um, I'm afraid that my technique was sometimes to be patient, be patient, be patient, be kind, be kind, be kind, and then get frustrated. And then you then you say things that you regret later. You you can come across with disgust and anger, and and that's not good. It's much better to. Um, and we'll talk about discipline a little bit later, but um, it's much better to to stay calm. Um, another technique that, um, I think helps is to just, um, to uh, the picture, the word picture or the mental picture that I would use like at at bedtime, everybody's tired, you know, they're, they're resisting going to bed, even though that's where they need to be. And I'm feeling upset, but I, I, I would think in my mind, like I'm a climb, I'm on a climbing wall. And I'm almost to the top. And if I can just hang on and hit that bell at the top and get them to bed, then everything will be okay. But if I get upset with them, then I'm going to look at them later and see their beautiful faces laying there sleeping. And I'm going to feel so guilty. And then I'm going to have to apologize the next day because I I said things that I shouldn't have said. So if I could just hang on and, and stay calm. And, and then I can um, sleep in peace myself too that night. So just, just trying whatever works for you to try and reason with yourself to, uh, to deal with your children in the best way for them. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed throughout your book, all of the, just the practical advice that's there and through the, the hard moments, because sometimes it can be when you're reading a book, you know, you, of course, get wonderful, godly advice, but sometimes it's nice to have, okay, when you're feel like you're at the breaking point or, you know, before you get there and you know that something's going to be hard to have things like the teacher mode, the visual pictures, and even be a robot where you have these little nuggets of wisdom of, okay, let's switch to teacher mode. Or I love the visual, visual pictures, like what you were just talking about of, you're climbing a mountain, you know, you're almost there. You can get there um, because like you said, that guilt is there afterwards if you lose your cool. And so I've really just appreciated all of your your wisdom, especially in this chapter. Thank you. All right, let's go to, oh, and so we've been talking, your book is split up into two sections. The first one is parental principles. And so now we're going to move on to practical principles. And so when we help our children think through the mental process, oh, how do we? How do we help our children think through the mental process of how to approach a task? Yes, there, you know, some children are just really um, good at this. Naturally, they have an organized way of thinking. They're, they uh, go at a task uh, with diligence and perseverance, and they can, they're natural workers. But I think the majority of children don't have this naturally and have to, have to learn. And they might see a task in front of them as a huge mountain that they can't climb or that they don't want to. So I think by helping them uh, think through the task and work through it together side by side with them, like if you tell a three-year-old, go clean your room, and then you're upset when they don't, it's, it's because they don't know what to do. So you go to the room with them and you say, okay, 
we're going to make your room look really nice. Let's put your clothes away first. So you tidy up everything and you do it with them. And this also shows them that you're not above doing menial tasks with them. Okay, next thing, let's, let's dust. This is how you dust. And next thing, okay, let's vacuum. And, um, and then when you're done, you say, look at this. Look at how neat this looks. And after you do that over, a over time, then they learn how to do it themselves. And when they're able to, then they're responsible to do it themselves. And hopefully they'll be willing to. If they're not, well, that's another story. Then you have to deal with that. But um, teaching them the steps of things. Um, it, it may require, like, let's say your child wants to start a lawn care business. They're, they're 11 years old and they can work. They mow your lawn, but they don't drive yet. And say, okay, you want to earn some money and you want to start your own business. Let's sit down. Let's let's write a list. So you, you, you let them and together guide them, uh, write a business plan. You, okay, you can do this work around the house to earn extra money. And then you can go out and buy a used lawnmower on Facebook marketplace. And you can continue to mow our lawn and practice getting good at that. Go around the neighborhood, distribute a flyer, get some business, and then mow their lawns. And then Learn how to fix the mower. So you you help them think through the different tasks. And I, I think it's also, I might say, very important here to um, to give them tasks that are, are boring and drudgery. Because we as adults, there's a lot, uh, there's so much of our life that, um, I mean, look at a mother. Okay, you change a diaper. Okay, in an hour, you got to change it again. You do laundry next week, ne tomorrow, next day. You have to do more laundry. There are so many parts of life, even if you have your dream job, that are drudgery. And they have to learn how to have the mental strength to persevere through that. And also um, to learn how to do steps. Um, most jobs are not just one step and it's done. You know, just think of baking cookies. How many different steps are involved in that? And they have to have the mental strength to be able to say, okay, this is one step, I'm done, going on to the next step, and not to think of it as a, a huge insurmountable mountain, but mm -hmm. to have the attitude, I could do this because I've done it before. I can do this. One of my favorite, favorite quotes in this chapter was, there's no comparison between the joy of accomplishment and the guilt of avoidance. And Mm -hmm. That's something that, you know, we we want our children to enjoy accomplishing accomplishing something, and that's uh, that's just so important. Instead of you you feel that guilt of avoiding things when you know they need to be done, and so you know that as they grow up, they feel that as well. And so encouraging them to to want to accomplish tasks and that that's a good thing and be encouraging, like you said to them when we're trying to get the rooms clean. And um, so that's just been something that I've been thinking about is, is the joy of accomplishment versus the guilt of avoidance. Yes. And that comes from um, a 62 year old woman who, when she was a little girl <laughs> would go through a lot of work to avoid work. And I, I did feel guilty. And I, I don't know why I just didn't do the work because then it would have been done. Mm -hmm. My sisters and my brother did that. And I was still trying to get out of it while they were all done and out there playing. So, it, yeah, it, you have to help our kids work through those things mm -hmm. in order to get that joy of accomplishment. Another favorite quote from your book is, once you get started, keep moving. Even slow motion is better than no motion. How do we help our children start a task and finish what they started? Yes, it's, it's about uh, momentum. And this is true, especially for procrastinators, which I have a lot of experience in as well. And it's for the kind of kid whose default position is to have his parking brake on. And it, it's, 
it's just a matter of of getting started and that's there's a there's a statement i always thought it was a job begun is half done that's the procrastinators version of the statement like once you get started you've got the momentum and then then you're already on your way to uh, accomplishing it. It's like it's half done. But the statement really is, and I found this out writing this book, a job well begun is Mm -hmm. half done. So it's all about planning how to do the job well. And then then you have to do half the work because you've planned well. But anyway, the procrastinator's version is, in my own words, is a job begun is half done. So you, you, we set the example to our kids. Um, we might need to prod them along. We might need to work alongside with them. Um, but it's getting started. You, and once you get your, st- you get started, you have your mind in gear, you're focused on the task, you're doing one step, then another, and you're keeping in mind what the end goal is and you've got the momentum. So we can encourage kids like that. We can praise them and thank them. And when the job is done, we can point out, see, you did it. And that's that's great. And we accomplished the task. Um, again, if they resist when they know how to do the job, then that's another matter. And then we have to deal with discipline or withholding privileges. But when they're young, when they're learning a task, we can do it alongside with them and get them going and encourage them. The section decide and do. So deciding, you know, what you're going to do and then going and doing it is one that after reading this book, I realized that I need to work on because I can easily have almost like a circle of things that I'm working on at one time of I'm doing some of the dishes, but then I'm going over to clean the living room, but then I'm, I'm, going and sweeping the floor a little bit of it and so each task is half done and and at the end everything is completed but my mind is going in circles because everything is messy until it's just all not it's like at the same time so I noticed my daughter Gracie doing that too when I've asked her to clean her room it's well I put one article of clothing away but then I'm gonna play with my jewelry and try to sort that and this. And so we've been working on telling each other, let's pick one thing to do and then we'll move on to the next task. And so that has been really helpful because you feel as if you're getting more done, you're accomplishing one thing and then moving on to the next. And it's just a a much simpler process. Yeah. I think as a mother, there's, there's a certain amount of um, flitting around that's natural mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> because um, when you're, you know, if, if there's a need in the living room, your child is crying because they yes. fell or something and, and you're over there taking care of that and you think, okay, I'll pick this up right while, while I'm here. <laughs> you know, some of that is, is very natural to, it's sort of like working on the way, but um, yeah, focusing on getting certain tasks done but even in the kitchen too, you know, you, you take something to the refrigerator and then you get something out of the refrigerator. And then, yeah, it's, I mean, a mother, women can multitask in that way. That's, That's why God true. made mothers, uh, it, it, you know, with a mind that you can, you can sense when something's not right with the kids while you're cooking dinner and you're thinking of your plans for tomorrow. You know, we could do that. Yes, <laughs> but, that's true. But, but the decided do and focusing on, um, certain tasks is also good. So it's a balance. Mm-hmm. Balance. Yes. You have to have a balance. What should our perspective be on time and how do we teach our children to treasure it? Time is so important because we have it now, but it's gone tomorrow. You know, yesterday's time is gone and we don't know how much time we have for the future. Mm-hmm. And time is a huge gift of God. It's, it's, my husband really, he is so big on time. He's he, of using time wisely and efficiently and for God's honor. And he's, he's really taught me a lot in, in this area. And um, the most important thing to use our time with is make, since we don't know how much we have in the future, is making sure of our calling and election and making sure that we're right with God and that our children 
know the Lord. So that's our biggest work of, of teaching and training our, our children. But on a practical level, time is kind of an abstract thing. And it's um, so maybe young children might not uh, understand it so well. But we instruct them as they grow up, and uh, we instruct them as we're working alongside them. And as we're doing family worship, we, we talk about time being a gift of God. And, and we set an example, that's very important too, of, of um, how to use our time. Now, that being said, um, it doesn't mean we are working every single hour that we're awake. No, we have family time, we have play time, we have fellowship time, relaxing time. And and so time is a treasure. It's not meant to be spent in idleness or sinful activities, but of course we can rest and relax. And in the area of time, I think the biggest thief of time is our, our screens. And maybe with little kids, you don't have that issue yet. But um, it, it's a our screens are competing for our time, for children, for adults, and we have to be very very wary of that. Mm. Yes, I enjoyed the section on practical ideas on treasuring time. Would you talk a little bit about your husband Joel, um, his method that's useful for children also in assigning tasks? Um, and yes, if you don't remember, I, I have it in front of me. If you, can. yeah, no, I'm kind. I'm I'm a little bit drawing a blank. Which page? Oh, is no that worries. In my book. No, nope. that is in one twenty. So I could read them. Um, it says every day he assigns his task into three categories. Oh, right, right. The must do, should do, and like do, and okay. then he starts plotting them through in order. Yes. Okay. I'll take it from there. <laughs> uh, my husband is, as I said, is very in tune with time, and he has he has lists. He's he's an organized thinker, but he has everything listed on paper, of, uh, and that he goes through that every day. Must do, uh, should do, and want to do, and he doesn't usually get to the want to do things because he's so busy <laughs> with the other things. So, the the must do things, of course, take priority. And then if he has time, he does the should do. And then, you know, if there's any time, uh, want to do. So sometimes the should do things move up to the must do list mm -hmm. because of deadlines. And that's how he that's how he goes through his day. But he he really accomplishes a lot um, because he not only does what's required of him, but he's he's just so driven to get the gospel out to as many people as possible that 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 just motivates him to write books to teach and um and just do all kinds of things getting the word out doing conferences and but yeah that's that's his method the three lists we've kind of been using that um i have a notebook that i just keep in the kitchen with me and just writing down odds and ends of like what we need and what we want to do. And so we just go through and say, okay, what is something we need to do today? Laundry. And then what's something we should do, you know, sweep the porch. And then what's something we want to do is paint. And so we'll just kind of write those down. And sometimes it's need to do is bake a loaf of bread. And so when, once we do that, we kind of check it off our list and, and my daughter, Gracie, she looks at it and, and then she'll go, okay, we did that. Or, you know, this needs to move up. And, and then it was funny one day, I think it was on a Saturday, we were, my husband was talking about the things that we needed to do outside because usually Saturdays are working outside days or getting things done around the house. And Gracie's like, wait, I need to get my notebook. We have to write this down. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, well, we've been working on <laughs> writing down prioritizing and so she just loves that she loves writing and and keeping track of things and so that's just been a fun little thing that we've that we've been doing but it's also helpful too yeah uh, I have a daughter like that too yes and she's in her upper 20s now oh yeah <laughs> I also I have a creative daughter that's very artistic and uh mm. 
and I, she's she's a little bit more like me and and uh the one daughter is focused and the other daughter is very um creative so they they both they both have their strengths mhm it's it's beautiful to see the variety yes absolutely um so what are natural consequences and how do we use them well with our children Yes, I, I think this takes uh, a bit of planning. And as husband and wife, you can sit down and uh, talk about what sorts of behavior to expect from your children and how you're going to react to them. And when I say natural consequences, I, I believe that we, we fit, and this is both positive and negative. So in the negative, we fit the punishment to the crime, to put it in, in those terms. So we arrange for circumstances to fit their behavior. So um, yelling is probably not effective, at least it won't continue to be effective over a long period of time. But let's say your teenager, Mandy, knows that her dirty clothes need to be in the hamper. And that you'll do the laundry, but the, the clothes need to be hamper in the hamper, not on the floor right next to it. So if she hasn't listened to your words, then you just have to simply use natural consequences and not wash her clothes. And then when it comes time when she needs her favorite sweater for uh, a certain event, and that sweater's dirty and it's wrinkled and sitting on the floor, she'll be very upset. But hey, she had fair warning. And hopefully she'll learn the lesson that next time you put the sweater in the hamper. So that's a natural consequence. Consequence. Um, on the positive side, um, praising kids for little kids for what they are doing, gratitude to the older kids and, and privileges that come with a job well done. You might say, hey, you did a, a really great job and um, fixing something yesterday. Let's... I appreciate that. Let's stop for a donut. Um, and there, I, I go into a lot of detail in the book because I think using natural consequences is a, a very um, important way to prepare our children for the adult world because the adult world has natural consequences. And we want them to learn these lessons at home so that they can make their mistakes under our roof and be ready to meet the employer's expectations and carry out their own responsibilities. We don't want them to have to um, get a bad review from their boss um, because they they didn't carry out their own uh, duties. But we want them to train want to train them at home. We don't want them to get fired for being late. So we make it painful for them when they're late. Maybe. Maybe they, if they didn't get up on time, we leave them behind for going somewhere. So hopefully they, they learn how to be uh, responsible because of the natural consequences that we've instilled. And I, I go into a whole lot more detail in this in the book. Mm -hmm. um, would you talk a little bit, because I felt like this section was so important about just some of the emotional do's and don'ts when you're looking at... Um, consequences uh once yes. Can I one part oh of course take, yep uh, uh, it's on page the, um, yeah go ahead pa page 145 okay. is um page okay. 145 the it was really it stuck out to me that you know we need and a good reminder that we need to come to grips with our own feelings and then chan channel them for our children's benefit and so, and I know we've talked about this as, as we've been going, but if we're angry, then we need to cool down. And I can't remember if you talked about it or if I was reading about sometimes you just need to go in the bathroom and just throw some water on your face, say a prayer, and then come back out when you're calm and collected um, to talk with your children because it can be so easy to lead with our emotions. And as we're teaching our children about their emotions and how we use them. They're looking at, to us as the leaders of this, these examples. And 
So that was just like a wonderful reminder for me. Um, and that they must, oh, go ahead. Yes, the the whole, the verse again, provoke not your children to anger comes to mind here. So when when we're angry and we lash out, it 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 isn't good for the whole situation, but it also isn't good as an example to our children because if we lash out in anger, they're going to learn, okay, this is how you handle things. And you don't control your anger because mommy and daddy didn't control their anger. And so it's setting an example of how to handle stress and how to handle conflict. So if we can, you know, like get a hold of you ourselves, just like you just described, and, and prayer is such a, a big part of that because emotions are so strong and and God can help us with that. Um, but we can, it's not like we're Stoics and that we don't have emotions. So there's a difference between lashing out in anger at our children um, and calming down and coming back to them and saying, okay, okay, I'll talk to you in 15 minutes. So they've got 15 minutes to um, to worry about what's going to happen because I know they did something wrong and you've got 15 minutes to cool down. But you can tell them, I, I was very upset when you did this because I, I know that you are able to do better. You can set a higher expectation. I'm, I'm disappointed in you. I'm upset with you. And I expect better behavior in, in the future. And, or you can say, um, you hurt mommy's feelings when you, when you did that. Or explain how you're feeling. And it's not bad if they feel guilt. Because if they did something wrong, they should feel guilty. And there's also a difference in putting someone on a guilt trip, like uh, putting them down and making them feeling um, like belittled. You, we don't belittle our children um, or, or handle them with spite or, or be snobby to them or snarky. But we can explain our own feelings. Mommy was disappointed in you when you did that. And... I know you can do better. And so we can explain our feelings, but we don't humiliate them. and We don't demean them and we don't injure them with, with our words. So there's, there's a, a fine line there. Yes. What good reminders. I also enjoyed the checklist that you wrote about being fair and disciplined. And there are many, but just asking yourselves, uh, before, you know, going into discipline is, are they working according to their ability? Are my expectations reasonable for their age or am I, or am I a perfectionist? Are they trying? Are they gradually improving? And there's others, but those are such great questions to ask yourself to make sure that you are being fair with your discipline. And one thing that's been helpful for us is um, that a variety is good. And so, I think we were really sticking with one avenue. And then after reading this, it was, especially with this chapter on natural consequences of, you know, I asked you to do this, um, you know, do this and then we're going outside, whether that's hanging up your clothes or putting something away. And if they didn't, then it's, okay, well, before you go outside, I need you to do this and then working from there. But it really gave me a whole new category on, on natural consequences um, for our children. That has been so helpful. Right. And I might add something right here too, is uh, if, if you see defiance, mm -hmm. defiance uh, in any shape or form at any age has to be dealt with right away. Mm -hmm. it, it has to be squelched immediately because defiance is, is ugly. It's not cute. Sometimes people laugh when a little child is defiant, but it's it needs to be squelched. And um, if you have a teen teenager who's being defiant, it's it's a lot harder to do, but mm -hmm. it still has to be done. So if they're defiant to you, they're going to be defiant to their future employer, mm -hmm. to their spouse, and even to God himself, because they have to be, their will has to be made submissive to authority. And that's your mm -hmm. job as parents to do it. It's, it's a hard job, but it just has to be done with a lot of prayer and wisdom. Yes. That's, we pray for discernment and 
recognizing when the defiance comes up because like you said that it doesn't just usually go away it it continues to grow as they grow older so what are some tangible and intangible blessings that come from work yes the the most the biggest tangible blessing is earning money and uh you, you know as an as you get older or in the home and being able to purchase things you want and need. And that's just part of God's economic plan. You work and you can eat and you can buy a house and you work together within the home in order to support each other. You share the cooking, you share the cleaning. And I think all those, uh, those benefits are part of uh, of God's plan. So I also think that children need to have a taste of having their own money when they're when they're young and when they're in the home so that they don't become a spendthrift when they do get their first paycheck. And if we give them practice in the home, then they learn. They that's just another thing that we are responsible to teach them is how to handle money. We, I think the best approach is to have certain jobs in the house just be part of being a family. You, you help out with the cleaning. You help out with the tidying up. You know, household tasks. Your payment is a roof over your head and warm food to eat. And, but then there's other jobs, and it's up to parents to decide how to divide the labor. But there's other jobs that you should get paid for. And we we had the privilege of having some very wise friends tell us a plan when our children were very young. And this is what we followed. We had a little notebook for each child, and we took the money that they earned. They had a newspaper route, like from the time they were nine, and then they would earn money around the house. So we took all that money every month or two, and we divided it. 10% first to tithing, 35% went into the bank for their future, for marriage or college. And then about 20% of it was divided between books, clothes, car, depending on their age at that time. And then they always had 35% to spend as they wished. And that, that gave them a, an opportunity to make their own decisions, to get independence. And they, they put a lot of thought into how they were going to spend that precious 35%. And it's good practice. You can guide them. You know, if they spend it all on, on candy, well, it's, you know, it's gone. Mm-hmm. It's gone. And But if they spend it on something that they get, maybe a pet that they get a lot of enjoyment out of, or, or to build a business or something, a doll that they really enjoy, you know, then they're learning to make those decisions. So, and, and, and Sometimes these things can learn lead to whatever their life's calling might be too. Um, then the the intangible blessings are are, I think maybe even more valuable, and they are some of them might be this the, the sense of fulfillment and joy that comes that that's just deep inside them when they accomplish a task. I, I have some uh, Brazilian friends who are going through my book as a book study. And um, one of them sent me a video of her 13 month old taking his own dirty diaper as she, after she had changed him and, and dumping it in the trash. And he had this just beaming look on his face. He was so proud of himself because he did this job. And <laughs> so there's something just inside of us that, that gives fulfillment and joy uh, when we do something, when we work. Uh, also, we talked about a sense of accomplishment. And, and that's especially true if, if a job is hard, if there's been obstacles. We did it. You know, we, we accomplished it. We finished the job. And we talked about self-confidence, that, that a kid knows, okay, I did this before. I can do this. And that's, that's valuable for, for their whole life. Um, working makes a child feel worthwhile and valued. He's got purpose. He's, he contributes to his own family. He's got a job and he's, he's needed, you know? Um, 
It teaches them to persevere. And we, we talked too about having boring jobs and jobs with steps. So they, they learn perseverance and that's very valuable. And I also think it's so important to do service work, to, to serve others and to give them that joy of, uh, of it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because once, once they experience serving, it's, I'll tell you, it's, it's addicting. Um, my parents, like my dad would always give blood and they would be involved in community um, work. And when it becomes, when that's part and parcel of your daily life and of your heart, then your children will pick that up too. And they will, they will love to serve others and, and share with others. So all those tangible and intangible blessings will equip them to be competent workers as adults and to serve others. And hey, they might whine, they might cry, they might be full of self-pity, they might resist, but don't let those behaviors stand in the way of your kids receiving the blessings that will come when they work. So be strong and require them to work through the pain in order for them to receive the rewards at the end. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that wisdom on tangible and intangible blessings as we raise our kids. Um, so in a nutshell, this is our last question about the book. What are the most important principles to remember as we teach our children to work? In writing this book, I, I felt my own inadequacies because I don't see myself as a, a naturally super strong worker. I've had to, to learn to work and I've worked through it and enjoy work, but I, I thought I need to have some other people's experiences. Uh, I need to talk to other people. So I interviewed quite a number of families that have done this journey successfully. And um, there were certain characteristics that I observed in these, these families. And I, to summarize them, I came up with four different characteristics. The first one is entreaty or prayer you can't do this alone. You can't, you just need God. You need to get, no, go to God for his help in prayer, for strength and for wisdom. And you need his word, the scriptures to get that wisdom. And we mentioned, especially the book of Proverbs. So entreaty. Second one is example. You can't teach your children to work by giving orders from the couch. You, you need to set an example of diligence so that they say that they see you working and they say in their thoughts, mom and dad work hard and that's just what adults do. And I'm going to be like that when I grow up. So that example involves working together with them side by side. They, they learn as they work with you and it also bonds you together. And like we said, it might take longer for them to do the job and it won't be perfect, but to, to nurture them in independence. And you're, it's an investment in the future because even though it takes them three times as long to unload the dishwasher, they will unload the dishwasher for you completely in a year. So mm -hmm. invest in the future in that way. The third one would be expectation. And that would be something that when you have things firmly implanted in your mind, I expect my children to work and I expect them to show effort and to work at the best of their abilities. No excuses, no complaining, just do your work kids. And then they'll, they'll sense that attitude and they'll be less likely to resist when we don't have um, room for their, their shenanigans, but some will resist. And so we have to be ready for that too. And we have to be ready to implement um, a plan and nip their resistance in the bud. So every child, every human being has original sin. So if our, our kids might sense our hesitation that, okay, uh, if I disappear uh, and go to my room around uh, four o'clock, five o'clock when mom's fixing supper, then it's too much work for her to call me up from the room and she won't ask me to help her fix supper. So I'll just disappear. 
So they'll take advantage of us to get out of what they perceive as, as painful work. So just just don't let that happen. So have an expectation that they will work. And, and then uh, the fourth one is enjoyment. So uh, enjoy the work that you do. If you, if you have a hard time working yourself and don't enjoy it, then, then you've got to spend some time in prayer and in scripture, knowing that work is a gift of God and ask him to help you to enjoy it, even the, even the drudgery work, and then display an attitude of enjoyment to, uh, to your children, even, you know, even if you have to fake it a little bit, but try and stay positive and they will eventually develop a positive attitude to work. Work, work is part of life. If, if it's a drudgery and if it's a burden, you're going to spend half of your waking hours as an adult doing something that you consider a drudgery. How much better it is to ask God to change your attitude towards work and to instill that positive attitude in your children too. And I like what you said too, like doing the necessary things and then, hey, reward yourself with fun things afterward. And your kids will enjoy that too. And then expect a lot of blessings and those blessings will be bring a lot of enjoyment too. And talk about the blessings with your children. So I think of work as positive and, and I hope that this book can be an encouragement to you. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing those principles and how, you know, work work is a gift and to be reminded of that. It's a gift to us and it is a gift to our children. And so thank you so much for answering those questions about your book. And You're the welcome. last the last question I have is the fruit of our home, which is a question I ask each guest. And so do you have a family favorite recipe that you would share with us? Yes, it's not necessarily a 100% healthy one, but it's <laughs> scotcheroos. Scotcheroos. Oh, scotcheroos. Yeah, Rice Krispie bars with peanut butter in them and, and um, topping of chocolate and butterscotch chips. So that's a, that's oh, a that's, family favorite. <laughs> that's perfect. I can't wait to share that one. I'll make sure to put that up on our page soon. And I think that is more of a, a northern recipe. So we're from Michigan, and I know you and your husband and family live there. And I remember I made it for a get-together down here, and it was like no one had ever tasted anything like it before. And so it was a fun (laughs) treat. Yes. And I remember looking it up afterwards and it's something that like the Midwest or it's very popular in Michigan to do. And, um, and so it's just a fun little treat and it's a a good reminder of home for us. Yeah. Well, thank thank you. Yes. Thank you again for taking time to talk about your book And for those listening, you can find this book on ReformationHeritageBooks.com and it's on Amazon and we'll also be providing a link below where you can click on it and it'll direct you right to the book. And I hope this uh, episode would be encouraging to you in building work ethic, not only in our children, but also in ourselves and all for God's glory. So have a wonderful day.